Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. Again, this is a photograph of my family. Not that one, that's a stock photograph. This is my family, and so uh, every year we get a family photo taken at church on Mother's Day, and uh, this is it here, and two things you can observe is, number one, um, Chrissy didn't organize the backdrop because we, we would have spent hours getting those crinkles out of the fabric uh, if she was doing that. So that's my beautiful wife, Chrissy, and then Austin on the left, uh, Elliot on the right, and then Lucia's in the middle, and Maddie is studying at university in Auckland, so someone Facebooked her in uh, for me there. Uh, that's not to scale, though. So if you do meet Maddie, that's not to scale. She's nowhere near that tall. Uh, and, uh, yeah, yeah. So, um, and uh, as a family, we've been living in Wellington since 2010, where we got to meet Jono and Emma properly. I knew of Jono when he was a tiny little snot-nosed child. Uh, now he's taller. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> Jono and Emma are among a very small group of uh, our favourite people, Chrissy and I. Uh, they're just were well, just am- amazing in terms of when we were leading the church in Wellington, just the way they served, contributed, um, just little things. You know, when both I think Jono was working, Emma was um, just casually studying a P- finishing a PhD, as you do. Uh, um, I remember that they were there one of the long weekends, like Queen's birthday or something like that, and uh, John had just made the comment, oh, we always make an effort to not go on holiday on long weekends because that's a time when, you know, the, the normal people serving are taking a break, and actually if we can just be there, tell them. So that's a, that's a real tiny little thing that says, hey, no, we're committed to this uh, thing. So they've been our favorite people for a long time, and John is the person I ring up if I need to uh, clarify my thinking about just about anything. Uh, um, so throughout the COVID, I was ringing him for scientific information because uh, I was getting my information from YouTube, and I found not all of it was reliable. That, let's just say that. Let's just say that. It turned out it doesn't matter how many 5G towers you burn down. The, um, so Jono put me straight on the testing process. I think we had a long conversation about how that actually works. Um, because I'm one of these people who has an opinion about everything, but very, based off very little information. Um, so what I like to do is I like to find support for my opinions. Uh, and Jono's gracious enough not to just support my opinions. Uh, so, yeah, so awesome. Love to be here. And I hope that you're appreciating having John and Emma as, your, as the lead pastors here um, and um, support them. They'll make mistakes, no doubt, but um, they're good, good people. So um, a scripture, an ancient piece of the Bible that I want to use uh, to focus your minds for a little bit. The, in, in Proverbs, it says that we should guard our heart uh, with all diligence is the translation that I like, or this one, with all vigilance. It's almost better than diligence because it's got a violent type front end, right? Um, imagine doing your homework with vigilance. Uh, yeah, yeah. Anyhow, doing it with vigilance, for from it, that's from your heart, are all the sources of life. And it's a really interesting, it's a pretty old part of the Bible. Um, it's not as old as I thought it was once you start looking into it. About the first century, they put it together, Proverbs. Yeah, interesting. But anyway, the whole part of the Bible. And a couple of the words are really important. So uh, one is this idea of heart. And the Bible uses a few different words that sort of speak to that internals of, of human existence. right? Like we said Thursday night, how big is that internal world? 
Well, it's basically bigger than the external world, right? In terms of our own experience of life. And the Bible says we should guard that internal reality. That's our, maybe our thoughts might be part of that. Our emotions are part of it. Uh, all those internal parts of us. We need to guard, protect those with all vigilance. And the, the picture language around this is it's like the way you would guard like a prison, like super guard it. And then with all vigilance means like, like it's sort of saying you should guard this twice as hard as you would guard something dangerous, right? So that's the idea of guarding it. Because out from the inside part of us, it shapes all of the external parts. And the idea of this idea of flow and of a river and of, of the size of our impact, the, si- the shape of our life. Um, and I think it's a, it's, a, it's a cool little piece of the Bible, um, but it sort of makes sense in the practical world as well. So this is a picture of a kaka, which is one of New Zealand's native parrots. Pretty awesome bird, eh? Uh, and when I was growing up, I'd heard of these birds, never seen them. They were sort of, they were extinct in the lower North Island, or much of the North Island actually, apart from offshore islands like Carpeti Island, they're sort of extinct everywhere. And in Wellington, um, a group of people got together and built a predator fence around a massive area. It's called Zealandia. It used to be called Wellington Regional Sanctuary, but now it's called Zealandia. Way better marketing. Uh, and it's a two and a half metre, three metre high um, fence. It's got really close woven metal wire. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. It's genius. Wire, and it goes it goes down into the ground for like about a half metre, so, you, so little pests can't get under, and then it's got like a an upside down guttering on the top so the possums can't get over, right? So that's what it's designed for. Uh, and it's, it's huge, so it goes around a massive gully. Um, to walk around it is, is like, it's 10, 10 and a half kilometers around, but it's at least, like the fastest I've done it is like an hour and 10, right? It's lots of, lots of up and down uh, all around it. So it, it's a big, big area. And what they did is that in there, they released six mating pairs, of kaka from the South Island or from the offshore islands, right? They released them there. Um, and then there's this cool article. Uh, oh, so there's another photo. This is Dougal's, Dougal Sutherland. This is on his deck, right? So he lives a bit closer to the fence than us, and that's a kaka eating Dougal's lunch on his deck, right? Because um, what's happened is inside that protected space, the kaka have bred and multiplied because it's a safe space. They've grown, they've developed, and now they're sort of wreaking havoc across the city. There's a whole, one of the things they've got, that big beak, and they like to get grubs from inside behind bark. And what are the best trees for that? Massive, big macrocarpas. If you've been around Wellington, all the old town belt area, there's these massive 100-year-old macrocarpa and uh, pine trees that are all dying because they've been ringbarked by kaka, right? <laughs> and so now the council has to cut them down at great expense before they fall down. Um, and then this article appeared in the paper a long time ago. So this is from 2016. Um, the numbers of kaka were growing in such a way um, that this is this is guy Wayne Linklater, who's like an environmentalist. He says we should prepare ourselves for a time when flocks may need to be destroyed. <laughs> right. <laughs> so this this bird that was extinct is now something we need to manage. <laughs> Because it's grown and developed and overflowed so much. Here's an article from this week uh, from the newspaper. Um, Kaka bewilders experts as it swoops back in in New Plymouth. 
quite a wee way away, isn't it, right? And the article, if you read it, they say they really don't know where these kaka have come from, but they think the strength of Zealandia plus the Tararua's plus Kapiti, those three spaces, they're the right sort of distance. The populations have grown so much that their birds are moving further and further afield. Over 100 years since kaka have been in the Taranaki area. Uh, pretty cool, eh? And it, I think it's a really good picture of this thing that if, if we can guard this internal part... Right? If, if, if we can have the Christian language would be the presence and the peace of God, the, 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 the happening inside, that's actually almost more important than what's happening outside because eventually that's going to shape the outside as well, right? Um, so um, in the mental health space, we, we talk about um, a well being continuum that looks like this. Uh, this is one I drew myself. Uh, and um, and that's this idea of, of sort of being unwell or being well. And lang- other languages I really like from the UK is flourishing or languishing, right? So flourishing is this idea of that, hey, we're growing, we're developing. And the kaka would be a good example of that's a population of birds that are flourishing, right? And part of why they're flourishing is because they've got this protected space. Cool. Guard your heart because that flows the issues of life. Um, the other idea of languishing is maybe falling behind or dwindling, right? Here's some Bible language you could put on the same continuum. You could call it blessing and cursing, right? This idea that, hey, when God's, when we're in, how, and how blessing works, you know, um, on Instagram, how blessing works is like this. So when Jono gets a new Ferrari, he takes a selfie with the Ferrari in the background and he writes on the bottom, hashtag blessed. Right? Correct? Yeah? Uh, that's, that's, that's not blessing. A new, a new Ferrari is not a blessing. Oh, we, this, we got this new thing. What a blessing. We got that thing, new thing. What a blessing. No, anything that God gives you is a talent not a blessing. As given to you, finances are a talent, they're not a blessing. The new house is a talent, not a blessing, right? Because blessing is about a relationship with the creator of the most high, right? It's about being in right relationship or a connected relationship with the God who causes all things to be. Lots of people use the word God, but when we we use the word God, we're referring to the creator, the original source of all things. And when we're in right relation with him, that means we are blessed, right? So Job was blessed right through the book of Job, right? Paul was blessed right through his ministry. It wasn't like he was blessed when he got saved from the, saved from the shipwreck, hashtag blessed. No, saved from from the shipwreck, hey, that means there's more work to do, right? So anything God gives you is a talent that you need to produce, you've got a responsibility for, but a relationship with God, a blessing is much broader than any sorts of things. I've got this, there's a quote that I really like. Someone sent it to me. Um, I preached a sermon in Gisborne, and Andrew Randall sent me this quote about shalom, which is one of the blessing-type words, peace, blessing, sort of a shalom, right? So this is um, Cornelius Planting, and he says, in the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and a delight, 
a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts are fruitfully employed. A state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as creator and savior opens the doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. That's Cornelius Plantinga Jr., which is a great name if nothing else. If you're going to be a theologian, why not call yourself Cornelius Plantinga Jr.? His brother is Elvin Plantinga, right? So they've got a family of great names. His brother is like a philosopher dude as well. But it's the idea, blessings is the idea, hey, things are working the way they should. There's these relationships working. The natural world is, is, is in flow as well, right? Um, so for, for a scripture I want us to read and consider this morning is the parable of the sower and the seed. So I'll read it. It'll be on the screens as well. Um, if you've got your smartphone, you might want to look it up as well. So a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where the seed didn't have much soil. So it sprang up quickly and then the sun came up and all the plants were scorched. And that was because they didn't have a sufficient root, so they withered. Other seeds fell among thorns um, and then the seed grew up and then the thorns grew up and then choked out the seeds. Other seed fell on good soil and it produced grain. Some of it, 100 times as much as was sown, some 60, and then some 30 times as much. The one who has ears to hear had better listen, right? Then we'll jump a few verses because then there's a whole section about the fact that the disciples didn't have ears and couldn't understand it, right? Uh, verse 18, Jesus says, oh, let me explain it. So the parable of the sower, he's explaining it to them. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom of God and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches what was sown in his heart. This is the seed that falls along the path, right? So when we hear God's word, but we don't understand it, it's landing, the seed is landing on the path and then it's easily taken. It's easily stolen when we don't understand it. Everyone say understand, right? When we don't understand it, it's easily taken. That's the seed on the path. The seed sown on the rocky ground is the person who hears the word and immediately receives it, right? So one group don't understand it. The next group immediately receive it, right? But um, with joy, right? But they don't have any root in themselves, right? So it hasn't gone, so they've received it, but it hasn't gone deep, right? Um, then what happens when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, immediately that person will fall away. So the first person doesn't understand it and it's easily taken. The next person quickly responds, but not at a depth. So they don't have that ability to, to withstand pressure and then they immediately fall away. And then the seed sown among the thorns is the person who hears the word of God, but worldly cares and the seductiveness of wealth choke out that word. Right? In the New Living Translation, I think it's a footnote in the first edition. It says, the desire for nice things. Ooh, it's a bit close to the bone for those of us in the Western world, right? Because what, what's our, most of us got, hopefully, most of us got a house to live in, close to where, right? But we're always thinking of what's the, what's a slightly nicer version of all the things we currently have. Right, And that's that desire. And it's not even the achievement or the worship. It's just that sense of desire for particular things chokes out what God's doing. And probably 
if you think about those three things, the person who doesn't understand, the person who responds quickly but with no depth, and the person who responds and begins to grow but produces no fruit, right? So one, the seed's stolen before it grows. One, the seed grows and then dies. The next one grows but produces no fruit. It just keeps, it's able to look after itself but not produce any more, right? That's probably the scariest one because you might notice when you're hearing things and then not, it's not producing, it's disappearing, or nothing's growing in life. You'll notice that. You'll notice when things are shrinking and shriveling in your life. But sometimes you don't notice when you're not producing anything of value because you're able to still look after yourself, right? Uh, the, the seed that is sort of the focus of Jesus' parable is this good seed, right? The seed sown on good soil, this is the person who hears the word, understands it, and bears fruit. Yielding, yielding 160, 30 times what was sown, right? So the first thing we need to recognize is that the seed is a measure of God's goodness. The Bible says this, that the rain falls on the just and the unjust, right? God's blessings extended to the righteous and, the, and to the unrighteous, right? So God's goodness is pushed out into the world. Right, God's a lot of things, right? Because He's the source and creator of all things. But God presents Himself to us. What does the Bible say? Famous verse: "For God so loved." Now, it could have been anything else. For God, for God was so keen to get things sorted out. For God was finally fully frustrated with the kids, so Jesus came, right? For God had had it up to here with your nonsense, right? There's a whole lot of things that are true about God, but when God's motivation for his interruption of the things of man, he interrupts the world because he's motivated by his love. So when God's pushing into you, when when God's extending himself towards Canterbury, he's extending his love towards our city, right? God so loved the world, right? Um, so God's, that, it's a measure of God's goodness that is sent out to us. His words comes out to us, right? So the first thing we notice from the parable, God's goodness comes out, but it's got to be received. Right? And it's, I think it's one of the interesting things about God. It's one of the things, the hardest to understand about God, is that God can just make it all work perfectly, but he chooses not to. He chooses to create an invitation for humans to partner with him. It's actually one of the things that makes you different than all the other things. Right? The Bible says that God created mankind. He shapes the person. It's the the original sandcastle, right? He shapes the person out of the dust of the earth, right? And that's where the materialist looks at a human body and just says, well, you know, the human body, someone calculated one time worth $18.50 based on the elements that are in it, if you sold them on, based on the prices of, you know, zinc and copper and all that sort of stuff, right? Worth $18.50. And I heard someone else say, man, for $18.50, God got a lot of value, right? Look, for $18.50, this thing can drive a car, can fly to the moon, right? Can write poems, right? $18.50, you get all the works of Shakespeare, right? From one investment of $18.50, right? But the whole story of humanity is not just the dust of the earth because God shapes man out of the dust of the earth and then he breathes life into mankind, right? And then we become a living soul, a living spirit, right? And we're the only thing God creates that's earth and heaven. So God creates the heavens and the earth. Then he creates lights in the sky, animals on the earth. 
And then he shapes man out of the earth and breathes spirit into him. And so mankind's the only thing that touches earth and touches heaven. We're a bit like chimpanzees <laughs> and a little bit like angels. Like it's a weird combination, <laughs> right? In many ways, our behavior far worse than chimpanzees, but only because we've got the technology, right? If they had nuclear bombs, they'd be terrible too, right? The reality is we've got, we've got this heavenly nature, which is actually one of the things that makes life amazing and incredibly difficult because we've got this heavenly nature where we can, you know, write a beautiful poem, right? Or send a nasty email, right? <laughs> and that's the same sort of thinking and ideas that produce it, right? So we're this dust of the earth and we need to receive into us this presence of God, right? This goodness of God that's got to be received. So we have to be open. How did Jesus describe, it's an interesting thing. Jesus describes, hey, there's this pathway, which is not the footpath. It's not like the sower is just an idiot sowing seeds on a footpath. Oh, they didn't grow. It's not like the sower was. That was Patrick, wasn't it? I was being Patrick there. <laughs> SpongeBob fans. It's my, it's my go-to dumb guy voice, right? Some people say just use your normal voice. It comes across just as well. The um, throwing the seed on the path. No, the path on a on an ancient field. The path is just the path that the sower has to walk on to sow. And then walk on to weed it and walk on to water it. It's just the bit you walk all the time. Oh, I've heard that before. Oh, great sermon at church this morning. You say to yourself as you get in the car, what was it about? I don't know. <laughs> right? Because we didn't actually sort of understand it. It just landed on us and then it's gone. Right? Interesting word this one, I understand. So God's word is whatever it is. Do we understand it? Do we make a place of, do we stand underneath it? Or do we go, oh, I don't know, what, I don't know whether. A lot of people are like, oh, I don't know whether that's really true. Okay. <laughs> well, you could have a conversation with God about that, or you could just stand under it and see what happens. Right? Understanding the Word of God says, I'm not going to judge what's the right way to live. I'm going to say, well, if it's in the Sermon on the Mount. Look. It's in the Ten Commandments. Maybe I'm just going to try and live in that space, right? There's some parts of the Bible that are really complicated. That's not the bits I'm talking about. I'm talking about the bits that are really straightforward where we just say, well, the Bible says X, Y, and Z about relationships. The Bible says X, Y, and Z about sex. The Bible says X, Y, Z about whatever it says, right? Or our understanding as Christians of what the Scriptures and the church has taught. Some of that's really obvious, and we actually just have to choose, will I stand underneath that? And receive it? Or will I stand aside it and judge it? Right? And the only problem is when you stand beside it and judge it, it doesn't produce any fruit in you because it just is easily stolen. Right? Because you haven't received it as the Word of God. So we need to receive it. So we need to be open to the goodness of God. Open to His message. To us, open for the, His Word to become part of our world. Right? Number two is the seed can be stolen. Right? Which is the same thing I just said. Right? We actually need to take action towards the good. Um, I've grown up, my, my whole life I've grown up um, in church. And it's really hard for me, having grown up in church and lots, hearing lots and lots of sermons and you know, read, book, you read books and writing, writing, writing. And um, so much of our Christianity in terms of, I, I grew up in a Pentecostal church, tr traditional Pentecostal church though. Like, not a, not a fun Pentecostal church, 
uh, you know, we were the only people going to heaven, right? We didn't lift our hands because, you know, that looks stupid. Um, you know, where is it? Anyway, you don't need to know about it. The, um, the idea was that we had, we had the right beliefs. Like in our church growing up, we had the right beliefs. And other people, particularly Catholics, they, got in, they came in for some terrible criticism. Um, ignorant criticism, but criticism nonetheless. Um, they had it wrong. So even though they were going to church, they were not going to go to heaven because it was only people who believed what we believed that were going to go to heaven. And I've always had this tension in my life is that it just doesn't really make sense, does it? That if you, just, if you can think the right thoughts and believe the right beliefs, you get to go to heaven. Because there's a lot of people who can't think at all. <laughs> right? Like if I have to think, the, you know, you do enough, do enough tests at school, you realize, oh man, I'm, you know, I'm not good at thinking the right thing, right? Or remembering anything. Or if it's a, like if there's an exam to get into heaven, I might pass it if I study, but I probably won't study, right? The, if I look at the pattern of my life, right? There's a reason I became a school teacher, right? <laughs> Some people are laughing. Other people are trying not to laugh because you don't want to offend the school teachers in the room. But they know. They know. They're school teachers too, right? Here's the reality. If there's a test we have to pass where we, where we believe all the right beliefs and then we get into heaven, what about, hey, what about the people who can't, who literally can't think those understand things like the things we talk about about believing Jesus. Like there's a lot of people for no fault of their own, they actually can't think those things through. Right? It's got to be much more than that. And it's this amazing mixture of hearing the word of God, receiving it into our life, and standing under it, which is a humility position, and then actually acting out the word of God in our world. I love this word that... Um, I heard recently about um, we're practicing Christians, not performing Christians, right? So people can look at me and say, well, your life's a bit of a shambles. I'm like, well, yeah, but I'm just still practicing this, right? But you're not practicing if you're just thinking about playing the piano, eh? Well, I know, I know the correct way to play the piano. No, you're, you're practicing when your hands are on the keys and you're trying to make a melody, Right? And it's a bit of a bumble sometimes when you're practicing, but that's how journeying God, right? Now we're talking about, what we're talking about today is how do we protect that inside part of us so that we can flourish and expand? And part of it is that we need a life of practice. Some people say to me, you know, hey, are you glad to be in church today? And I say, no, I'm just at church today because this is what I do every Sunday, right? And some say, oh, you're not just going through the motions. Do you know sometimes at the gym, I'm just going through the motions, I don't really want to be there. I'm just. Do you know, but at the gym, if you go through the motions enough, do you know what? You get the benefits, right? There's something about just acting out the word of God, thinking about what is it, what's the right way for me to live. Does that make sense? Not so you get in heaven, right? But so that we can live this flourishing life, right? Engaged with God. We need to think and open our heart for the word of God to become part of our heart, but it needs to act out. If there's not action, then it's easily stolen as well, right? The Word of God needs space. I, I've, I was considering, I was doing a lot of meditation, deep meditation about the nature of the rocks, the rocky soil. And I thought, you know, I spent some days pondering this. What might the rocks signify? 
And I felt like, after many days of consideration, I felt like the rocks were, could signify pretty strong symbolism. They're hard things. Right? Wait, wait. Don't hold your applause. <laughs> hold your applause. Even in jest, uh, your applause was early, right? They're hard things below the surface. Right? So what are they? Well, they're hard things below the surface. What could they symbolize? They could symbolize hard things below the surface. Well, what are they? All the hard things that are below the surface, right? They're all the things about you that are rock hard, immovable, dead, lifeless, that none of us can see, right? Don't worry, we're not going to go around and share, right? (laughs) They're hard things, and they're below the surface for a reason, right? Because they're embarrassing, they're shameful. We don't want to talk about them. No one else wants to hear about them. Right? Um, when I was a young person, I stayed for a few weeks on a farm in Oxford. And on one of the big flat paddocks, they were, they were, it, was crops and, it was crops and sheep farm. But along the side of one of the fences was this pile of rocks. It was maybe 15 or 20 feet high and sort of like, just piled up, and it went the whole length of the paddock. And I was like, where'd all the rocks come from? He said, from the paddock. I said, wow, how did, when did you dig all those out? He said, we don't dig any of them out. We've got other things to do. But every year when we plough, some come up to the surface. We put them on the pile. They've been farming the land for five generations. That's how many rocks they've got out. It's not like the first guy who got there goes, well, there's rocks, there's rocks here. We're going to get digging. We're going to dig all these rocks out. Do you know what? They, would have, they, would have, they go bankrupt because farming's not about digging up rocks. That's not the goal. Church is not about digging up rocks. Let's find out all the terrible things about you. No, it's not about that. But each year as God plows the field, something's going to come to the surface. Put it on the pile. What's that? What, that's called confession. Put it on the pile. Just move it. Put it on the pile. Just you know some of the rocks. You can't move by yourself. Right? I always say this, we never go digging. Are there problems in your brain? Yes. Should you go looking for them? No. <laughs> right? But when they come to the surface, hey, it might be something you need to deal with. Right? And 99% of the time, you can pick up a rock and put it on the pile. And every now and then, you're going to need someone to help you. So a friend, partner, right? Chatted with a pastor. Yeah? People are like, oh, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah, it might be helpful, eh, to chat with somebody else, right? And that's, otherwise, why would you come to church? Well, one of the reasons you come to church is because God's present when we gather, right? Another reason is that we're present when we gather, right? And have a cup of tea, have a chat with someone. You know, there's a study from America that um, average American middle-aged man has half a friend, right? Top half or bottom half, who knows, right? Which means, which means, just so you understand statistics a bit more accurately, what it means is not that anyone has only a half a friend, but that most people have no friends. Some people have one friend, and a very few people have two friends, and there's a small group of people who have five or more, right? Like a tiny percentage. And they define friend as someone you could borrow money off, or someone who could come and help you right now with a like, flat tire, jump start, moving a piano, right? And I thought about it, and I thought this. I thought in my hockey team, it's about, it's about 
there's about 20 of us. There's only 11 people play at a time. But middle-aged men hockey teams, there's always a rotating injury bench. It's massive. <laughs> right? So you need 20 players in your team to field 10 or 11, sometimes 12 on a Sunday afternoon, right? In my hockey team, there's about 20 people. It's across a couple of teams, right? And do you know what? Just about any of them, if they rang me up on the WhatsApp chat thing, because they've got my, they can get hold of me. If they rang and said, oh, I need to borrow 100 bucks. Well, I'd, yeah, I'd say, okay, cool. Just about, <laughs> just about any of them, right? There's a couple of them I say, get lost, loser, right? <laughs> but that's because he tripped me up. Like, oh, I'm going to trip me up at practice. I'm like, we're at practice. We're on a team here. He's like, and he's, not, he's not getting 100 bucks, right? So anyhow, <laughs> just about any of them I'd lend 100 bucks to, right? And if, someone, if any of them rang me up and said, hey, Jordan, I, you know, I'm on the hockey team. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. oh like I've just broken down. I need, I need a jump start. I can't think of anyone else to call. Do you know what? Any of them I'd go help. Yeah. Right? Okay, that guy who tripped me up, I'd go and help, but then I'd pull up and say, oh, I haven't got any leads. <laughs> 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 anyhow, but here's the weird thing. I, I think if I, I could reach out to them, if, if, no, if they reached out to me, I would help them, but I would never necessarily ring them. Wow. Isn't that weird? Yeah. So the question I thought was, how do we operate in such a way that actually other people, in, even in church, in my church, no one's rung me up for a long time and said, hey, we're shifting house, can you help? We're sort of, we're sort of out of that for some reason. But it's actually one of the things, do you know why it's really good to help someone shift house? It's... You're sending a really clear signal that you could help them with something else as well. Because there are harder things than shifting house. Not many things, right? But there are. Right? Do you get what I'm saying? Right? That actually sometimes we need the help of other people around us, right? And the seed's got competition. The Word of God's not the only thing growing in your heart. Hey, all sorts of thoughts and intentions. That's what the Bible says, thoughts and evil intentions growing in your heart. Not you guys, just people in general. Obviously, you guys are all perfect. I'm talking about the other people, the other Christians who are partly evil. <laughs> Enough people are laughing who, right? We actually need to create space for the Word of God to flourish, and we actually need to fight for it. Uh, oh, a, a saying I've had for a long time is this. The first person to get hurt in a game of rugby is the person who thinks it's soccer. Right? Lots of people think life's like this sort of non-contact sport, like we're playing badminton. What could possibly go wrong? Right? We're not playing badminton. It's really clear throughout Scripture that there's a war. Right? The, the, the enemy attacks humanity and humans. Right? There's an attack on humanity that produces things like wars, famine, Stuff like that. But there's also an attack on humans that produces things like depression, anxiety, self-hatred, hopelessness, helplessness, right? It's one of the things we always do like in the mental health space, chatting with like counselors and people like that who work with individuals or even talking to lots of nurses and stuff like that at the moment. We always talk about how COVID is affecting people. All those people out there forgetting that we're one of the people who are affected by it, right? We've also had quite a long, busy three years of pressure, and right? Now, the, 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 the sin, death, and the world 
affects people, but also we're one of the people. The enemy wants to destroy people. You know, you're just make, let's make this assumption. We're all just humans here, right? The enemy wants to destroy us as well. And one of the ways the enemy destroys us is keeping us in a fruitless space where year after year after year we can produce leaves. We don't fall over. We don't wilt. We keep going. We're still um, faithful, but there's not that level of fruit produced because we've got multiple desires in our heart. We've got like that divided type heart happening, which affects us, right? So we've got, to, we've got to be open to the Word of God. We've got to come understand it and receive it, right? We have to take some actions around it. The, the Word of God that you hear in your head is not really understood. Understanding is when we're practicing it, right? So you, you might know what forgiveness looks like. You could draw me a diagram of it. But when you forgive someone who's offended you, that's when you're beginning to understand, right? And that's actually where the transformational power of the Word of God is going to begin growing in your world, right? There's, then we need to create some space. Sometimes we need to remove some of those hard things and put them on the pile. And most of the time you do that yourself in your relationship with Jesus, but sometimes you need someone to help you, right? And we need to fight for it. Um, wrapping up, there's this uh, cool, look at these guys, perfectly on cue. Yeah, just do that. You don't need, it's a 20-minute walk out there and back around. Yeah, we haven't got time for that. We're on a schedule. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. You're, this guy's in 100% agreement. He said, literally told me just then to hurry up. The, um, <laughs> there's a researcher who I've, I'm finding really interesting reading some of her work. And, um, her name's Alia Crum. Uh, it's an interesting, again, if you're going to be a public intellectual, come up with a fun name, right? Um, so that's just, this is literally, that's, a, that's her Wikipedia, right? Uh, but she's done a whole bunch of research and a lot of it around um, how, how mindset affects biological function. So how what people are thinking will change how biological processes happen. What's often forgotten is that... Um, um, stress response is a biological function. Lots of times we think of stress as psychological. The mindset's a psychological, but stress itself and how it affects us is biological. Um, not that you, <laughs> you can't, there's not, a, there's not a line between them, sorry. Uh, it wouldn't be good if life was simple, right? Uh, one of the things that she found out in a particular piece of research is that your mindset changes how your body digests food or how food works inside your body. It will determine your mindset can affect how effective exercise is, right, in terms of the improvements in heart disease, right? So people's mindsets have been shown to change how effective cardiovascular exercise is when they're trying to address the impact of heart disease. The way they think. The, the internal world shapes what's actually happening in the, in the real world. <laughs> that imaginary space or your thoughts and feelings... I would suggest that that's actually a real world as well, right? But it has an impact. One of the cool things they did as a study, that was actually part of her PhD, where they... It was so subtle. If I hadn't pointed it out, they wouldn't have noticed how beautiful that was. So anyway, what they did is half the room, they showed a video of Dr. Crum explaining all of the most significant negative physical impacts of psychological stress, right? Top of the list was too much stress over too long a period decreases the function of your immune system. 
right? That's one of the top ones. And she went through a bunch of other ones, right? The other side of the room, the other side of the group, obviously it wouldn't work in the same room, but the other side of the group, they showed a, a different video, Dr. Ali Crum explaining all of the positive physical impacts that stress has. Top of the list, that high levels of stress trigger and activate better function of your immune system because you can find studies for both. Right? And then because it's because they're all students at Stanford, they then stressed them out and tested what was going on. Right? And one of the things they found is really a very strong correlation. Up towards 80% of the people who saw the video about the negative impacts of stress had a deep decreased immune response once they were stressed out. And the ones who saw the other video, again up towards 80% correlation, they had a positive experience, positive physical reaction to the same stresses that they were put under, right? Interestingly, even something as simple or as everyday as stress and how it affects us has got a lot to do with what's going on inside us. Not just the traffic, not just all the COVID stuff, all those things, how it affects us has got a lot to do with what's actually happening on the inside of us, right? So we should guard our heart with all vigilance because out of it flows the sources of life. So here's a couple of questions for you to have a think about. Um, do you need the grace of God to break up some of the hard parts of your life this, where nothing gets in, where really God might speak to you, but it just sits on the surface and gets taken away. You don't really, you're not really actually open to the Word of God. Next thing, maybe, maybe do you need the grace of God to help move some of those hard things that no one else knows about to create more? Again, I like the idea of the rocks. They're not gross. They're not evil. They're just hard, heavy, and dead. And maybe that's old memories and hurts. Maybe it's habits and behaviors now. But you actually need to be able to move out of the way so that more of the goodness of God can grow inside of you. Or maybe you've got other desires that are crowding out a heart for God. My favorite definition of God's grace, maybe we need God's grace to reshape the path. Maybe we need God's grace to move those rocks. Maybe we need God's grace to deal with the weeds in our life. My favorite definition of God's grace at the moment is this. God's grace means God did it. So maybe we need God to change things in our heart. Because you could do it, eh? You could just change the things in your heart. How will that go? Pretty hard to change, isn't it? Right? But one of the things we know in Christ, because of Christ's sacrifice, God's grace extended to us. We could be transformed by God working in us. Amen? So um, maybe close your eyes and bow your heads, and and I'm going to pray. But have a think about where, where, where you would like to see God working in your world. Holy Spirit, I pray for everyone in the room and whatever it is that that you're highlighting for them, whether it's that idea of the pathway where your word's stolen or it's the idea of those rocks or the idea of the weeds. Lord, wherever those things are limiting the flourishing of your word inside of us, Lord, we want to come before you as a community and say, Lord, we need your grace. We need your presence. We need you to work in us, Lord. There's nothing we can do to transform the dynamic of our own heart, Lord. But we thank you, God, your promises, 
Lord God, to work in our world. Lord, that we'd be good soil, that you could produce, that, that good fruit would be produced out of our life. And Lord, I pray for everyone in the room. Lord, I pray you give us confidence where we need confidence, humility where we need humility, so that we can keep working and you can keep working in us to transform us. Um, perhaps you're here and maybe you've never made a decision to acknowledge God as creator and Jesus Christ as the redeemer of all things. Uh, at our church services at Equipus, we, we love to pray each week just at the end of the service, acknowledging God as the creator and source of all things and acknowledging Jesus Christ as God who redeemed everything in the world, uh, including us through His death and sacrifice and His resurrection. Um, maybe you've never made a decision to acknowledge God, acknowledge Jesus, and or maybe you have, and for whatever reason, you're here at church this morning, but you're actually far away from God in terms of where your heart is. Well, you can join us and make that decision this morning as well. Um, and so, but before we all pray together, um, if that's you, just ask everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads again. But if that is you, while everyone's got their heads bowed and their eyes closed, um, if you just give me a quick wave and say, yeah, I want to, pray that prayer this morning, acknowledging God, acknowledging Jesus' work, and, and for Him to begin working in my world. If that's you, just give me a quick wave. When I've seen your hand, you can put it back down, and then uh, when people have responded, had a chance to respond, we're going we're gonna to pray as well. So I haven't seen anybody's hand yet, but oh, awesome. Thank you, sir. If there's any other people, just shoot your hand up in the air. Once I've seen you, you can put it back down, and then we're going to pray. Awesome. Very cool. Hey, why don't we um, stand to our feet? Um, <laughs> You know, um, we're going to pray this prayer, and I, I, I'm pretty sure we do this most weeks. Yeah, we do this most weeks. Uh, we don't do it every week um, just because it's like um, we can't think of any other way to finish the service, you know? Like, because there's, we could, you know, we, we get, there's a whole bunch of other ideas, right? But we're not doing this because it's a great idea. We're doing it because actually we think, hey, this is something we want to center our focus on towards the end of the service that says, hey, as. As believers, what, what we believe is that God, the creator of all things, has redeemed us and is working in us to make us more and more like Him, right? And that's not a bad way to fo finish our focus. And because we're friendly and, and uh, generous, we always take the opportunity to invite anyone else who wants to join in this journey following Jesus to pray this prayer with us as well. So we ask people to put their hand up so that we can, you know, connect with you afterwards and have a chat. But also, um, because... Following Jesus is not something you can do very well by yourself. It's, a, it's just a team sport. It's as simple as that. It's a team sport, right? It doesn't matter how much you love football. It's just way better with a team, right? Yeah, you can juggle it around by yourself, but that's not football. It's a bit like that, but it's not football. All the people on the internet who don't think they need to go to church, they've got great skills at juggling around, but that's not football. Football's a team sport, right? So all the people at church, I don't need to go to church. All the people at church, we might not be as good at bouncing the football around, but we're actually playing football here, right? And that's what we're doing, right? It's not about being brilliant at the skill set. It's about, hey, we're, we're together as a team, right? That's why we say, put your hand up because we, we're going to make it easy for you to join the team, right? But I always say this as well. If you're too scared to put your hand up, it doesn't matter, right? You can still pray the prayer, but just when you go get a cup of coffee afterwards, have a chat with someone and say, hey, I made that decision for either for the first time or, or I recommitted my life. And we just want to help you connect, right? just let you know basically how to get more involved and continue to grow. Making sense? Long explanation, but anyhow, I like the analogy of football. Came to me just now, Jonah. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. So let's pray. Uh, I'll pray a line, then you pray as a group, and that we, we finish at the same time rather than awkward. Someone prays for four minutes, and we're all still waiting, right? Okay, here we go. Uh, dear God, creator of all things, we stand before you today and acknowledge you as creator of all things and Lord of all things. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice, your death and resurrection, redeeming us and extending God's grace to us. We ask you to forgive our sins and we choose to make you Lord from today forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.